Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Firm, but with little give. Yep, these are medium rare. What if somebody wants theirs well done? We ask them politely, yet firmly, to leave. Michael Preston. Just want everybody to agree on one thing. Especially this year, election year in America. We all disagree on one dang thing. Cook your steak medium rare. Medium at most. Medium well or well done, you've killed the poor animal again. It died so you could be happy and eat it. And have it cooked at the perfect temperature. And anything over medium is frankly an abomination. And I will not accept it. I could go on a Stephen A. Smith style rant for probably 15 minutes about overcooking your proteins. I will not do it here. We will save it for a summer show when we don't have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour, our first edition in about a month. We haven't done one since uh, Nick Rolovich got hired. But we're going to talk about uh, the Washington State Cougars basketball team. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mel Tucker and the University of Colorado and the way things stand in the Pac-12 as well. Uh, and then, as always, our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything. Uh, it always feels super duper, duper de duper de good to beat the University of Washington in, well, I mean, you know, any sport, but uh, in men's basketball, especially in a season when they were picked to finish third. They were in the top 25 at one point, And that you're pretty much just helping put nails in coffins at this point of any postseason appearance for Washington. Probably out the window at this point. And you're the team helping to do that. I think especially nice to see after a really bad home performance against Arizona the weekend prior... Um, to end that weekend, kind of ended on a dud of a 66-49 to loss. It's kind of nice to bounce back and beat your rival, um, even if, you know, they aren't who we thought they were. Um, it's very nice to, to watch this team come out and do that. Uh, so, from that standpoint, it's thrilling, and it's wonderful. And as I look up and down... Uh, the seat, the schedule for this basketball team and the guy I want to talk about and talk about 
a ton is CJ Elavine. It's so funny. Literally, he and Isaac Bonton have traded off being the high scorer uh, ever since Bonton was two games in a row against SC and UCLA earlier this season. Literally just gone back and forth between the two of them uh, ever since then. And so I, I, I want to talk about LB because, I, you know, I think you knew this was a guy who really benefited from having Kyle Smith and from the new coaching change and having someone who could kind of give him a direction and help him uh, up his draft stock a bit and assist in his development as a player. And I think this is something we've talked about on this podcast before. And I know Jeff and Craig have talked about it on podcast versus everyone is that the effort level of this team is probably unparalleled to any that we have seen at Washington State in a long time. And it's incredible to me just watching this basketball team on a nightly basis when they are on the floor, the effort they put in to playing this game is incredible. And I and I realize it's, you know, it's it's a you know, it's something that you can't quantify, right? Like you can't quantify effort. I, I, I can't put a number on effort. I can't assign an, a numeric digit to how much effort you put into things. It's definitely an eye test thing. And I know I try to shy away from the eye test. I, I always say I try to shy away from the eye test on this show. And yet we, we talk about eye test stuff all the time. But not only does this team put in that effort, but how much effort CJ Ellaby puts in is incredible. It, it You never, if he's having a bad shooting night, if he's having a bad night, uh, you know, turnovers and whatever else, you just don't ever doubt that you're going to get every ounce of everything this kid has to put into his game. You just, you don't think for a second you're not going to get that from him. And it, it's been incredible to watch that transformation kind of from last year with a coach that's not caring to Kyle Smith, who has now won more games in a season than Ernie Kent ever did. 14 wins so far this season, and he's got at least eight more games to go. Uh, and he's already, again, won more games than Ernie Kent ever did. And that's a very low bar to clear, but he has cleared it uh, in his first season in Pullman. Whether LOB decides to leave or not, you know, does it look likely? Yeah, probably. Especially if he gets a first-round draft grade. I'm never going to get in the way of a kid wanting to go make his money. I think he's still a little too inconsistent for the NBA. He clearly lacks the athleticism of, you know, a top flight score in the NBA, but maybe he also knows that he just likely is never going to be that and he needs to go make his money while he can. And again, I'm not going to object to that, but how good does it feel? Just knowing this team on a nightly basis is going to give it everything they have. They're going to lay it all out on the floor. And we've talked about this a few times so far this season and that you're going to get some up and down performances from this team. You're going to get some times where they play really, really well like they did against Washington for 40 minutes pretty much. And then you're going to get games like against Arizona where, you know, got out in front early and then Arizona just exerted their will for about the last 30 minutes of that game. It also goes a long way to explaining those scoring droughts you see in each and every game. I mean, you can pretty much set your watch to the fact that Washington State 
has had a completely inexplicable scoring drought in every conference game they've played. They they just go what seems like a practical eon without putting the ball through the cylinder. And it's it's like the most amazing, weird, stupid thing because, again, it's like you have no explanation for it whatsoever. Absolutely no explanation for it at all. And it's 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 incredible to me that... That they just they they cannot score, and I and it's it's nothing to do with at first anyway of not getting good looks at the rim because at first they are getting good looks at the rim and I you know they kind of force it a little bit and try a little too hard to score the bucket but it's it's definitely it's it's just it's the weirdest thing I have no idea what it is but it's it's completely odd. But it's that up and down, right? So down at Arizona, up against Washington. And for sure, Washington's a much worse team than Arizona is. But that's the kind of inconsistent performance you kind of expect out of a team under a new head coach in their first year. You also kind of expect them, again, this is weird. They lose on the road. Have not won a road conference game yet. And they are way worse on the road than they are at home. A good thing they ran a rough shot over that home non-conference schedule in December. Helping them beef up that CBI resume. (laughs) Look, if they end up in the CBI, I am thrilled. They've already gotten the invitation according to Kyle Smith. And if that's where they end up, that's great. They haven't been in the postseason for over half a decade. The extra games have got to be helpful in terms of player development. The extra practices you get have got to be helpful. So I, I... I haven't seen any scoffing at it on social media or on the website, and and that's good. I also think I the thing I've marveled at a lot so far this season is just it what seems like uncanny levels of patience with this basketball team from the fan base. And I, I I think that's something to compliment all of us on is that everybody just kind of understands that this team is going to be this way this year. They have a new head coach. Pat Chun went out, did the thing he should have done and fired Ernie Kent, but that under a first-year head coach, that things are going to take a while to develop and get to where Kyle Smith wants it to be. And, you know, I, I can say that even though we all know that, that, you know, you, you know, we're all behaving this way, but I think we all know how unreasonable fans of any team can be. So it, it still has surprised me to an extent that everybody has kind of been quote unquote so well behaved with this basketball team and just kind of saying, you know what? Yep. Take their lumps. You know, that Colorado loss was, was bad, but you know what? Yep. Okay. That's fine. High elevation. Things happen. Foul trouble. All right, let's move on. The Utah loss again, same thing. Arizona athletic. You're not going to beat them. Stanford good at defense. So it, it, it has amazed me how patient Everybody has been with this team, which I think is a key for this squad moving forward, is that that's just how it's going to have to be. You're going to have to be pretty patient with them. Um, Again, especially this weekend, you're on the road at UCLA, a team you needed overtime to beat at home in January, and then you play, you turn around in less than 48 hours and play at SC. You've only got two home games the rest of the way, and for a team who has struggled mightily on the road to get anything going... I think this is a pretty big test for them. That game at Washington is certainly your most winnable road game on the season, but that's at the end of a week, so you've got almost a full week to prepare for that one. 
So I really think these next two, given how you performed against these teams earlier in the year, these are probably your most winnable games, although UCLA has been better of late. So you've got a really good chance with your LA road trip this weekend to win a couple of games uh, that, that you really do need. You really, really need to win these games because there's a chance if you keep going like this, you could end up in the NIT. It's teeny tiny, teeny tiny little chance, but it could happen. Teeny tiny little chance, but it could happen. You could see this team end up in the NIT if they keep winning. I don't think it's going to happen because, again, all those road games, and they have kind of proven, especially in conference, that they can't win away from the friendly confines of Beasley Coliseum. But just for the psyche of these players and you know the direction of the program and the confidence of everybody that this thing is going the right direction, picking up a win this weekend in L.A. would be huge. Especially over SC, that was that bugaboo with the big, I can't even say the kid's name, the big O inside uh, the, the four they have. He's going to go in the lottery, that kid. I, I'm, we'll, we'll click on USC's team name right now. And even though I, I try to pride myself on pronouncing things, I'm just going to unfortunately slaughter the poor kid's name. Even though Onyeka Okongwu? Actually, no, I think I did pretty okay there. Onyeka Okongwu? Yeah, that kid. He just absolutely dominated that game. Uh, in Pullman a little over a month ago. So you have this chance to go down there, make a nice statement on the road, then come back home for your last two home games against Cal, against Stanford, and then tough sledding on the road for your last three, and then again the Pac-12 tournament the next weekend. So your final home games on February 23rd. No favors done to you schedule-wise this season by the Pac-12 schedule makers, but getting a couple of wins here and then coming home next weekend and beating Cal and Stanford, two teams that actually... If I'm reading it right, they do struggle on the road too. Or if I'm remembering right after I clicked that, not reading it right, I can read a number, but clicked out of it, uh, they struggle on the road. Yeah, Stanford's 2-4 and four on the road. Cal actually has yet to win a road game so far this season. Washington State has won one. It was in Moscow against Idaho, so count it if you want. I do because it does technically count. But um, So it's interesting to me, uh, just watching this team progress, it has been a real treat to watch them play so far this season. I'm so happy that everybody's been really patient with them as well. And I'm just looking forward to watching more Cougar basketball. And it's been a long time since I've been able to say that. And I'm so thrilled that I'm able to say it again. And I, I owe a debt to Kyle Smith for making me love and hate that I love this team so much. And actually making me find a bar in Reno last weekend that showed the game. Show the TV network somewhere, please, Larry. Please. Good God. More coming up on the Kook Center Hour right after this timeout. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Back here on the Coog Center Hour. And though it is February and we are in the depths, the throws, the throws would be a better word there, the throws of basketball season, I do find it 
compelling to actually bring things back to football and more specifically Pac-12 football and even more specifically the University of Colorado. Because as I'm sure you know by now, uh, Mel Tucker has bolted from Boulder. That's good alliteration right there, kids. I tell you what. Uh, And is now in East Lansing replacing Mark D'Antonio who quit just straight up quit uh, earlier this month his job after a pretty long tenure at Michigan State University from, yeah, 2006 to just this year. Uh, probably not a coincidence at all that he was due a pretty substantial retention bonus north of $4 million in January and then quit a couple of weeks after that. But who am I to say if that's a coincidence or not? Uh, but Mel Tucker, after just one year in Boulder, goes to East Lansing, gets his salary doubled, gets his recruiting you know, recruiting pool doubled, his assistance pool doubled, and Michigan State just throws all kinds of money at him to get him to come to Michigan State. And I, I, I don't know what is coming down the pipe at Michigan State because I assume some sanctions and NCA violations and things of that nature are still coming down the pipe as a result of the Larry Nassar scandal. And I think there are some other things on the peripheral um, around that athletic department that could still be causing them some problems here down the pipe. But that's a very weird time. I mean, when D'Antonio, a guy who's got that long a tenure at Michigan State, just suddenly up and quits, that's a very large surprise, right? Because at least when Chris Peterson quit, it was surprising, but the timing made sense, right? I mean, you know, after the season, did it right away, eased the transition for Jimmy Lake, Made a lot of sense for Chris Peterson. It made a lot of sense for the University of Washington. And it made you know made sense for everybody involved. I, I, I have a very hard time believing, and maybe it's just me being cynical, that D'Antonio decided in the early February that, yeah, this was the time to quit. 19 days after I got a $4 million retention bonus. I think I'm done. I think I'm all done. And there not being some other problem behind it. But Mel Tucker decides he wants to leave Colorado to head to Michigan State. And this is, I, I mean, this is, it's a, it seems reeks of desperation on the part of Michigan State. Because Mel Tucker was not their first choice. I mean, he was barely their third, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice for that job. They wanted Luke Fickle something, something bad. I couldn't think of the word to use there. They wanted Luke Fickle pretty badly, didn't get him. And, I mean, they just swing and miss on a lot of coaches. And it it strikes me as, again, a very desperate move and a very desperate time for Michigan State in early February that they need another football coach. They miss out on their preferred options and they end up throwing a lot of money at a guy who did have a good recruiting class at Colorado, but it's not like Mel Tucker had really proven himself at the university of Colorado yet. Right. He'd been the interim head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars once. So Colorado was effectively his first ever head coaching experience. He had never really been a, you know, yeah, okay, fine, interim head coach, but he'd never really been a true head coach before. And for them to just kind of take a stab at it because, oh, he was a GA for a couple of years in the 90s. And, yeah, (laughs) you know, I mean, it just, it's surprising to me. 
It, it, I, I don't blame Mel Tucker for taking the job that much of a pay raise, but that reeks of we had to throw a lot of money at somebody because this is really not desirable. And if Mel Tucker wants to be the guy to take that job, then I guess more power to him. I think what really, you know, if you had been in the position that the University of Colorado was in watching this, I mean, Mel Tucker was at a donor event hours before uh, it was reported that he had taken that job. He was raising money for the University of Colorado after summarily like denying that he was going to take the job whatsoever just a few days before. Completely denied it on Twitter. Said, nope, I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. Whoops. And like three days later, he's out the door. Um, I feel horrible for the University of Colorado because now they are in a horrible position of having to hire a coach in the middle of February. It was not ideal for Washington State to have to hire a coach in the middle of, or, you know, middle to early January. They got the guy they wanted and got him quickly. And I think if you're Colorado, you need to identify who that person is, kind of like what Pat Jun did for Washington State. You need to identify that person and go get them quickly. Because the last thing you want to be doing right now is kind of floundering around looking for a coach. It probably might be worth it to go interim tag for a year and sit on it and wait to play the coaching carousel game at the end of the year. Unless you really think you can go get your guy. I don't think Eric Bieniemy is going to be interested in taking a step down from Kansas City after he's been, you know, he should be a head coach in the NFL. There's no reason for him to go be a head coach at Colorado. So where 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 am I going with all this? I, it, it seems like to me that a lot of the kind of, you know, the narrative after Mel Tucker left after he bolts for East Lansing, is that, well, the Pac-12, it's it's a sign of the bad times in the Pac-12. Sign of the bad times in the Pac-12 that Chris Peterson quits and Mike Leach and Mel Tucker leave. And, I mean, I mean look, here's the deal. It's not... It, I, <laughs> I don't mean to say that... I don't mean to say that the Pac-12's monetary situation that their tv deal that their network is any good and i'm not meaning to say that larry scott doesn't deserve to not be working for this conference anymore he certainly does not deserve it he has done a disservice to the pacific 12 conference by continuing to be in charge and it, it is affecting the the entire conference and every sport in it but that like this is kind of the so-called canary in the coal mine that Mel Tucker doing this is like the last straw. What everybody needs to see is the thing. I just, I don't quite buy it. And that everybody pointing out all these coaches bolting in the off season is a sign of how bad things are in the Pac-12. I'm not here to tell you that the Pac-12 is the best football conference in the country. And certainly the Big Ten and the SEC have gobs of money I wish that we had to throw around to hire these coaches. But we don't. And I think the other thing too is, as you look at all three situations in the offseason in the Pac-12, and Chris Peterson quit because he was seemingly sick of coaching football, I'm sure he will also be back at some point in this sport. And he can, he can practically name his job. 
Mike Leach had had dalliances with other jobs in the past and hell had taken a job at Tennessee before their AD was fired. So it's not exactly surprising that when the opportunity arises for him to get a million dollar a year raise that he would go do it. And Mel Tucker getting hired is Frank. That I mean, that's just a complete and total head scratcher to me. Five and seven at Colorado. And again, sure, the recruiting class is good, but that's Michigan State getting desperate. That is them getting completely and totally desperate. And having the cash to throw at a guy who, you know, is is, is going to get a very quick payday from this. And who you don't know if he has any record of success whatsoever of being a head coach. So, again, I guess I it's just not that, like I said earlier, it's not that canary in the coal mine situation to me. You know, all three of those coaching departures were for very independent reasons. Both the Washington schools, you know, I mean, UW had their next coach lined up already and it had been talked about apparently for a few weeks prior to that announcement. Washington State found their next coach fast extremely fast took them less than half a week basically to get someone hired because I'm pretty sure Pat Chun you know didn't necessarily know but he definitely had a list of who uh who he wanted to go get and then this is just I mean again it's it's a completely weird situation it's completely out of left field Again, I'm not saying this conference is the healthiest in the world. The TV deal needs to be better. A lot of things need to be a lot better about the leadership in this conference and about the way it's run and about the health of its most visible sport. But to say that Mel Tucker getting his salary more than doubled is a sign that the Pac-12 is all the way behind is not it. There are plenty of other signs that the Pac-12 is all the way behind. But if you're going to throw that kind of money at Mel Tucker, I mean, he's going to take it. That's more than he's ever been paid to do any job in his, in his entire life. I think the other thing to point out, too, is, I mean, little old Wazoo was paying Mike Leach $4 million a year, and he was in the top 40, I'm pretty sure, in head coaching salaries in college football. If little old Washington State can do that, there's no reason, no reason to to do that. Or there, there's... There's no reason to say that the Pac-12 can't afford it because they, they certainly can. Again, if Washington State can pay that, plenty of other schools can too. I'm pretty sure Chris Peterson was making more than Mike Leach. Lord knows David Shaw is probably making more. But you've also got a conference where, you know, Kevin Sumlin's still making money from Texas A&M. Uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham is on a, he's, I mean, he's been coaching there for forever. I don't think the dude needs a raise. Wilcox is a first-time head coach. I think just Jonathan Smith's a first-time head coach. Don't know what Clay Helton's being paid. Probably not a ton. Chip Kelly's getting still some Eagles money. So I think UCLA's getting a little bit of a discount there. It's not like these schools can't afford to pay it. Whether they're willing to or not is an entirely different question. Lord knows who the hell USC's going to hire once they find, hire once they finally fire Clay Helton. Whatever that's going to be. Although I appreciate them keeping him around for another year. So I, I, I don't... I, the sky is not falling for this reason. The new TV contract is one to worry about. Whether the Pac-12 can keep up with everybody else. 
is one thing to worry about. And I think Brian Anderson had a good point in our Slack chat when we were going over this, is that what you really worry about is that recruiting and assistant pool. Those are the big concerns. That Mel Tucker got that much more money for it and that that the resources are so much better in the Big Ten and the SEC. And I'm not saying the Pac-12 is ever going to catch up to them money-wise, but at least getting within spitting distance would be good because right now it, it's like they're miles ahead. Miles and miles and miles ahead. And it's, it's, it's only going to get worse. All right, Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song. Head of the week time. It's been a while since we've had one of these, but I want to make a general kind of like statement towards guys everywhere. And this is this this is kind of just for the guys. I know we probably don't have a lot of female listeners. I hope we have some. I hope this show uh, bridges across all sexes and interests and all that other good jazz. But it's a sports podcast, so I know generally we don't have a lot of female listeners. But guys, if you're at the urinal. Please, don't get your phone out and look with it. Look at it. Especially if you keep your phone in your hand that causes you to look in the direction of another person using the urinal next to you. I don't know what it is about the guys in my building that compel them to do this, but it, just keep your phone in your pocket for this little 45 second transaction in the restroom and just, just keep it right there, please. Because I, I don't need you looking at it. I don't need it looking like you're looking at me. And more importantly, that's just gross. Like, I, I, I get that we all use our phones when we're doing the other thing in the bathroom. This is getting a lot more graphic than I intended to, but the FCC can't regulate me. Uh, you can drop it. You can drop it right in the urinal. You can drop it on the ground, which isn't clean either. Let's just keep the phone in there. Do you really need to look at your phone that badly that you gotta do it while you're peeing? I just, just that, that little 45 second space, let it just be you in the porcelain and the water and just, just do your business and get out and look at your phone on the walk back to your desk. It just, I don't know. It just, please, please stop doing it. There's one guy in my building who does it constantly, all the time. Somehow I always end up in the bathroom at the same time as him, even though we work on completely opposite sides of a wall and I can't see him. Don't know how it happens. Absolutely no idea. Hate it though. Phone in your pants when you pee. My only message. Besides all the other ones I had, Matt. Awful segment. Just awful. Went just off the rails. Ask Michael anything, time. Ask Michael anything. I like, kind of stopped raining in Seattle, too. God forbid, right? Oh, you got vault. 
at Chris McKinturf. Chris McKinturf, can I name your baby? For the right price, yeah, sure. That's why it was always funny. I had a friend's dad who always used to say, hey, look, there's a price on everything. He was a real estate agent. Does that surprise you? Uh, everybody's got a price for something. I don't know what the price would be for that. Probably kind of like pornography. I'd know it when I saw it. But no, you cannot name my baby Chris for unless you have a uh, unknown amount of money that I don't even know of right now. At C underscore Raj six, Cody Rogers best flavor of Costco muffin. Ooh. Oh, I'm a sucker for a blueberry muffin. I really like their blueberry muffins. I think they got a poppy seed muffin in there too, don't they? That's usually it. Their chocolate one's really good too. I try to stay away from the Costco muffins though, because there's so many calories in them, so I get my calories elsewhere, like literally anywhere else. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I do love the Costco muffins. Oh, really, everything Costco does is like really good. Hot dog. When I was in high school, we used to get a hot dog and a slice of pizza, and a uh, the like the little ice cream thing afterwards. God, I was an absolute every, like every teenage boy, an absolute dumpster when it came to food. At Stevie D, Stevie, with Pat Chun running the show, is this the smartest, most competent, and most stable US WSU athletics has ever been from the top down? Probably, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't speak to before I really became a fan. You know, I know the early days of Jim Sterk probably weren't any better or, you know, any better than this. But, yeah, I mean, kind of like Pat or uh, like Pat, like Jeff and Craig said, like with that Clay Day thing, like, Previous athletic departments, it just would have been completely screwed up. But that that whole thing from beginning to end, flawless. Completely and utterly flawless. It was perfect. I didn't see as much of the George Raveling um, honoring from this past weekend. But again, same thing. Just completely great. Very awesome. At Cool Coog, Jeff Cool. Were we going to a bowl game anyway, or does the Colorado fiasco clinch a 2020 bowl berth for the Cougs? Also, berth, B-E-R-T-H, or B-I-R-T-H when talking about bowls. I usually use B-I-R-T-H when talking about them because berth, like a wide berth. That's what I usually think of like when I heard, hear the word berth. Give something a wide berth, and I just looked it up. Uh, noun, a ship's allocated piece at a wharf, place at a wharf or dock. A fixed bed or bunk on a ship, train, or other means of transport. So what have I been... Oh, oh a wide berth would be like a wide... Okay, I'm, saying, I'm figuring out where these things are coming from. So it's B-I-R-T-H. Uh, I think they had a pretty good shot anyway. Again, we kind of talked about that schedule. It doesn't line up great at the end. Um, but Colorado being bad doesn't necessarily clinch us one. I think that was probably a win next year anyway. Um, but it definitely is a win now. Uh, or at least it should be at Devin Lewis 89 Devin Lewis who do you predict will be the next pack next coach poached from the Pac-12 when will it happen that's a good question I think looking up at you know Mario Cristobal probably if we're being honest that that would be my guess because I, I'd be willing to bet Miami is just gonna throw stupid money at him after they fire Manny Diaz uh, Justin Wilcox maybe next, just for the defensive mind too. Um, but Helton's not going to get hired away anywhere. Neither is Kelly, Jonathan Smith probably not. Jimmy Lakeson's first year, Rolovich first year. Whoever Colorado hires, Winningham's not ever going anywhere. Sumlin's going to get fired before he goes anywhere. And Herm likes the sun, so yeah, that's what it'd be. Thank you again for listening. We appreciate it so so very much. 
Have a good week. Go Cougs. Enjoy some basketball this weekend, please. This team, if you haven't watched them yet, please do it. This team is putting in a heck of a lot of effort, and they've been playing great this year. So we'll talk to you later here on the Cook Center Hour.